Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan, and with me today we have Bill Graham Woo! and Michael Snydell. Hello! Hello! We are here today to review the movie Mandy, the newest film from director Panos Cosmatos, who previously did Beyond the Black Rainbow. It stars Nicolas Cage, Andrew Riseborough, and Linus Roach, amongst a bevy of others. And uh, yeah, that's all we're here for. Just to talk about Mandy. We're here for you. <laughs> <laughs> Over these the dulcet tones of King Crimson. <laughs> yeah, man. King Crimson. Expertly deployed in Children of Men and now Mandy. Anyway. Uh, so that's that's it. We haven't. I, I really. We haven't not had a guest in a while. I feel like. So I'm off my rhythm because I usually would be like, all right, well, tell us a little bit about yourself. But everyone knows who the fuck we are, so that would be boring. I'm so gonna get just, talk about myself if you really, really want me to. No. <laughs> you strike me as the least interesting among us. Damn. <laughs> Unless Bill decides to talk about CrossFit, because uh, there's nothing worse than someone talking about CrossFit. All right. I'm good. Yeah. I won't talk about being a father. Bill won't talk about CrossFit. Michael will contain himself to talk. only talking about the movie. <laughs> uh, back to the old scenario. We've got the old relationship going. Everyone hating everyone else. Talking about a movie. Find us on Twitter, <laughs> at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Longer thoughts, you can email us, podcast at thefilmstage.com. And of course, go on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, and all that nonsense. Go to patreon.com slash show in order to give us your money, help us create more great content, and become a part of our super cool Slack channel, where we talk about all kinds of things, from TV to video games to movies to probably politics i don't know i haven't been in there in a while i've been super busy to all of our patreon subscribers i apologize that you haven't been able to piss me off recently and draw me into a long convoluted debate i will be back count on it people mentioned malik multiple times and you didn't appear (laughs) (laughs) this is this is a good inside joke for all our patreon subscribers people will often try to uh summon the bear by bringing up terrence malik uh this time it didn't work (laughs) The bear is a fickle beast. Anyway. That's it was a, hibernating. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. What is the opposite of hibernating? What is being so busy that you literally can't do anything else? And so it's as though you Feral? are hibernating, but without any of the restorative Feral. effects. Oh. <laughs> rabid? I think I've been rabid. Yeah. Cool. Uh, we are also brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. We've been talking about their theatrical release, Ry- Ryuchi Sakamoto's Coda. And that is now on the streaming platform. So after weeks of listening to us talk about it, 
you too can now see this film from the comfort of your old own home. I was going to say your old home. I don't want to judge. My home is almost 100 years old. It's fine. We also have on the platform Two Days, One Night, which we talked about the last time. The Dardenne Brothers, my favorite, well, I'm not going to say my favorite, but some of my favorite filmmakers who created some great stuff like Kid on Bike and La Enfant are back. They've got Two Days, One Night starring Marion Cotillard. It's a fantastic movie. We talked about it on this podcast. So check that out. I got I got one too that I can uh, do it. I uh, well, you I I hope that at least some of you watched any of the Johnny Toe that is leaving tonight <laughs> as we're recording. But I'm not just going to shame people because I'll also say that you have 27 days to watch House of Tolerance, which is the previous film from Nocturama director uh, Bertrand Bertrand uh, Bonello. And it's about uh, courtesans in uh, 19th century, 20th century, you know, in the in the past sometime. And for fans of video games, there's a movie called The Last of Us. It is not at all related <laughs> to the video game. We are so good at this. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. yeah. Um, making so- me real proud, guys. <laughs> There's also a film called Ghost Town. It is not the Greg Kinnear, Ricky Gervais vehicle. Oh, boy. That's pretty good. I never saw it. I try my best to avoid Ricky Gervais at all times. That's that's totally fair. <laughs> anyway, you can avoid Ricky Gervais while still watching a movie called Ghost Town by getting a free 30-day trial of movie. All you have to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage and you'll get a free 30-day trial of movie to try on your own. Again, that's mubi.com slash filmstage. So that, that is that, pretty much. We've done it. We're ready to talk about Mandy, the newest film from Beyond the Black Rainbow director Penos Cosmatos. This is written by Penos Cosmatos and Aaron stewart on. And here is the trailer. So that is the trailer for Mandy. How best to describe this movie? <laughs> um, Nicholas Cage stars as a lumberjack whose wife or girlfriend Mandy is uh, abducted by a cult. Some stuff goes down and he goes on a mission of bloody revenge. It is the 80s. It is a death metal cover album come to life. It is so many things. Let's talk about it. Bill Graham. What were your thoughts on Mandy? Um, pretty short and sweet. I think right in the middle of this film, there's about a 15 minute monologue, and I just about 
stopped watching altogether. Um, this movie takes a long time to get set up and get going to anywhere close to interesting. By the time it arrives there, it's already worn out so much of its welcome that this film just feels just inept in so many ways. Um, I do like his sword. Uh, okay. That, that thing... It's like a what, whatever whatever War the axe. fuck that yeah whatever the fuck that thing is I I really wish it would have come into play a little bit more even though it's like used heavily like I yeah I wish I wish someone would fucking turn on the lights in this movie and so I can actually see something I understand it's probably budget constraints and things like that where you know whatever but um I don't know I, I also was disappointed by the uh, Cheddar Goblin. I, I thought that was going to be like an actual thing, <laughs> and it ended up being a fucking commercial. So that was disappointing. Uh, not to blow up anybody's spot about their uh, Cheddar Goblin wishes, but yeah. Um, you know, that's, I, so, so I went into this movie knowing nothing, but I okay. heard someone, like I heard multiple people talking about the Cheddar Goblin. And I was yes. like, if this movie allows people to use the term Cheddar Goblin... It's probably awesome, right? Like, you know, but you're right. It's just a TV commercial. <laughs> Spoilers really, for Mandy, I guess. Yeah, Directed really, by the Too Many Cooks creator, actually. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Well, you know, no, there you go. Fine. Um, this film needs to be 30 minutes shorter for sure. Maybe a nice, crisp, like, 80-minute feature. Um, I feel like there's so many fun things to be had here. There is a couple of sequences where Cage really just goes for it, and I enjoyed a lot of that stuff. Look, you know, when you have a film like this that stars Nicolas Cage where he's just going to go bananas and, you know, get as close to uh, – what what is that? The Candyman or what, whatever the fuck uh, – wicker man oh, yeah. as as close to him as like mental breakdown state in that film like okay you know y- you're on board for a certain amount of craziness by the way but, if we could get nicholas cage to star in a sequel to or remake of the candy man it's already <laughs> happening <laughs> the candy man can are they actually oh, remaking boy. it they are uh, Jordan Peele is oh, well, that's, that's next project. I was about to be super angry, but now I'm super excited. <laughs> yeah, that sounds nice. Um, yeah, that sounds much better than this film. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, God, I, I like some of the stuff that this film goes for is just like straight up bonkers and just like a lot of fun. But because of the way it's cut, because of the way it's edited, because of the way it's lit, it's just not nearly as fun as I want it to be. So, yeah, I it was it was a rough ride for me. I want to maybe I should have started with this. This movie has been heavily lauded by critics and festival art audiences alike. Many people speak very highly of this movie. Michael Snydell, <laughs> what did you think of this movie? You know, I don't I, I don't like it very much, but I think it's far more interesting than what Bill just said. I just think it fails by trying far too many things. You know, I think, you know, to bring it back to that critical conversation, you know, I, 
it's been impossible to avoid conversation about this movie since it's premiered at I, I believe it was TIFF. It's it's been at least it seems like an eternity, but it's probably only three or four months since it premiered. And I've heard about this for years. I mean, or seemingly years, you know, of a of a black metal Nicolas Cage movie. And so you'll see a lot of people who um, are comparing this to metal and, and are saying that this is bonkers, and you know, that it's midnight movie ready and all of those things. And so there's a few things in play. There's, there's one expectations and I don't think this movie's that crazy. I, I think that that is a real misunderstanding um, of this movie, of this movie's script, of its direction, of where it decides to go, that it wants to at once have those B movie qualities. You know, like when you start going through some of the scenes in this movie, it sounds like they're going to be really intense and really fun, and you know, like a a throwback to a lot of you know those grindhouse films where it seems like they you know were snorting a mountain of cocaine before they wrote the script, and this film. You know, I it is working in two different modes, and I don't think either of them work particularly well. But it's also not it, it's uh, it's too easy for me to dismiss this as simply like homage or like a pastiche of those types of films, because there's a sense of care and there is a sense of generosity in how it puts the performers first. And gives them these long monologues and does let them, you know, just kind of like really get into some of these roles. But the other part then is that like – but by virtue of having these really – this really arduous, like very – very operatic first half and then the second half that just wants to be this revenge movie is it it doesn't remotely meld those two. And I, I think there's a couple failures. I, I mean, the central plot, I, the central thing that really bothers me in this movie, I can't talk about until spoilers. But all I'll say is that a single we event. We already talked about the Cheddar Goblin. It's okay. Yeah, like what else is there to say? <laughs> a single event defines this whole movie. And the single event made me so mad that I couldn't even stay into it. And, and the last thing I'll say is I this movie is just kind of, you know, it's – um. It's editing and its rhythms are interesting. Uh, the the critic Glenn Kenny actually compared it to Pulp Tarkovsky, which I think you know is somewhat of an easy uh, pull quote, but also gets at something very unusual about the rhythm and the pacing of this film. Which like this doesn't look like a lot of what we expect on the midnight movie circuit, the Fantastic. Fest, you know, this isn't like, you know, the Thai West of the world. Like it, it, it is absolutely set in 1983, but it's not, it's not a cheap and dirty slasher, and it is trying to be something larger and say something about trauma and uh, all of these larger, like, you know, really self-important ideas about horror and and everything like that. And I just think it, it fails and it is kind of super lame. And I wanted, I wanted this to just be so much heavier. I wanted to be assaulted by this movie. I wanted to feel uncomfortable. I wanted that world to feel like less of just a, a, a fucking cheap backdrop. And 
so while I can, you know, on some level give some credit to the production design and the sense of atmosphere that comes through in certain parts of this film, it's also such a slog and so pointless by the end uh, in such a way that it like, I cannot be reminded of you were never really here earlier this year, but this movie made me so much madder than that. But basically like, if you want to make a midnight movie, just make a fucking midnight movie. If you want to make an art house indebted black metal odyssey, fucking make that don't make both. (laughs) I'm going to start off by saying something positive. Johan Johansson's score Mm. is amazing. And it kept me invested in this movie through its two hour runtime. It's like a, it's like a person who's never listened to metal. metal's idea of metal. Hey, 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 but don't do that. (laughs) But I think that it works for the movie. And as a person who admires metal more than I like metal, I liked this score. So I think that in a way it almost, it's like they said, make us a movie score that's metal, but don't make it a metal movie score, you know? (laughs) And I think that that worked and I liked it a lot. Um, Don't take away the one good thing that I'm going to say about this movie, Michael, because I too did not like this movie. I'm going to quote a great modern thinker, Brian J. Rowan, when he spoke about, (laughs) when he spoke about, sorry to bother you, a movie this crazy has no right to bore me this much. Yes. I, I don't know. I don't know at what point this movie lost me because I feel like it didn't have me at first and then it got me and then it lost me again. And I don't know if it's when the satanic bikers showed up that I was like, okay, all right. And then like definitely when Nick Cage is having a conversation in a trailer with a man, I was like, okay, all right. Good to see Bill Duke Duke. in a movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, there are a lot of things in this movie that, like, woke me up or, like, piqued my interest again. Like, Linus Roach, who plays um, a district attorney on the later seasons of Law and & Order, and also <laughs> Bruce Wayne's father in Batman Begins, he is a crazy cult leader. And there's a point where he's wearing a super awesome robe, the kind of robe that you hope a cult leader will wear. And he's talking about the Carpenters, and I was on board. But he like someone listening to listen to flute music. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> like any good cult leader ought to. Like <laughs> there are things in this movie that really get me and like had me say, okay, I think that we finally hit the gear that I need this movie to be in. And then everything would go to shit. Like I just <sighs> the movie is so start and stop, so weirdly episodic. And its aesthetic kept me on the outside in a way that I found alienating rather than unnerving. And it was like, if you really don't want me to see this movie that badly, literally like be able to perceive the images on the screen, then maybe like just don't make it. (laughs) And I'm glad you brought up Ty West because I definitely had some like super awesome House of the Devil vibes for a second. And I love House of the Devil. So, like, I was on board. I was ready for, you know, that song that I can't think of the name of now to, like, kick in and the babysitter to dance around the house. 
Like, nothing happens in House of the Devil, but I was nearly constantly in a state of anxiety, especially during that scene. And this movie has some batshit bonkers nonsense that should have at least had me going, all right, yeah, you know what, like, at least I got to see that. But, like, I never (laughs) did. And I just got real, real tired of it. And I, like, when it ended... I was like, okay, cool. It's over. And I've gained nothing and I've learned nothing. And I didn't even get the thrill of watching some crazy shit. Like Nicholas Cage is crazier in face off. Nicholas Cage is better at in his nearly somnambulant turn in drive angry, a movie in which he is not nearly angry enough and yet he's still like a great presence in that movie. Like when he is staring into a fire and saying, I'll have a beer when I drink it out of like Judah's skull or something. And I'm just like, <laughs> all right, yeah, you sold that line. And then he does it. And like, I don't know, man, like this movie just, it, it, it really bummed me out and it made me feel like it was attempting to be, a kind of endurance test for the audience. Like it needed you to be able to muscle through everything that it was doing in order to like prove yourself to it. And you know, I just like, I wasn't on board. I wasn't on board. I wasn't a fan. Andrea Riseborough is like really good in this movie. She's I, good in everything. I, that's the thing. Yeah. I love Andrea Riseborough. And I thought in this movie, she was doing some really great stuff. So the places that this movie goes annoyed the shit out of me because of her? What, because of what they do to her character. Yeah. Because of like the way that she is used and like, you know, Linus Roach is doing like some real interesting work as this crazy <laughs> cult leader. But like, you know, people kept saying like, this is Nicolas Cage, like unhinged in a good way. And I was like, this is not Nicolas Cage unhinged in a good way. Like he doesn't really feel engaged at all in this movie like or it's not like emotionally cohesive even as like a performance of chaos or anything yeah like his insanity in the wicker man scans more as a character than his character in this movie because like up until shit starts going crazy he is just like a lump Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, and I just think, you know, I was like, I heard, I tried not to let the hype get to me as I do every festival season. <laughs> you know, like sure. the first reviews for First Man came out, and I was like, ah, oh, damn it. Am I going to like another Damien Chazelle movie? Don't think about that, Brian. Remember La La Land. <laughs> you know, I, I heard good things about Widows after having randomly heard some bad things about Widows, and I was like, oh, shit, yeah, Steve McQueen. But then I was like, you know what, Brian? You never know. <laughs> It could be bad. You've liked all his movies. You yeah, love all the actors yeah. in it. The trailer made you want to like get up and walk out of a movie because you were sure that the movie couldn't be better than that trailer. But let's just keep <laughs> our anticipation low. <laughs> but I kept hearing people talk about how goddamn great Mandy was. And I love Nicolas Cage. And I like Andrea Riseborough. And I just like, you know, I, it, it ended and I was like, what the fuck? Come on. <laughs> yeah. And, um... It sucks. I wish we had someone on this podcast who liked it. This is one of those situations where I was positive that one of you two would. 
I was I was pretty pretty positive that I was going to enjoy this. Yeah, and I sat sat down, and within the first twenty minutes, I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> to be to be transparent, like I I I tried to find someone, I just couldn't find it on the shorter notice. Right, we had some I, scheduling issues. We're recording issues. on a Monday on a Monday night, so that's yeah. that's a little bit difficult. And Bill, I, Bill didn't watch it till today, which is not his fault because if you know if if you got the time, you know don't don't stress yourself out. But Bill, you were you were like. I don't need a lot from crazy movies. I just need them to be crazy sure. and good. And so I was 100% expecting for you to be like, you know, yeah, he fights uh, swords, but with chainsaws and, uh, you know, it, it, that's fine with me. That's good enough. <laughs> yeah. If, if this film had had 20% more Cheddar Goblin, I think I would be be kind of swayed back the other direction. But yeah, the, the Cheddar Goblin lack just, ooh. That's what uh, I, that was. That was a, a a sickle sword to to the heart of this movie. This is one I of those things other... that make me really wary of festivals because I feel like twenty of the right people with a Twitter following see something, talk about it within five minutes. They sure. all agree on like a twelve second part that was super weird and awesome. That like if you just saw this movie with friends, you would make one joke about it and then forget it. But because it's on Twitter and because no one knows what the shit you're talking about, suddenly the Cheddar Goblin is a goddamn celebrity. <laughs> like the Cheddar Goblin to me now has become a symbol of a problem. And I don't think that I've lived with it long enough to really be able to explicate it better than that. It is like no, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's 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 taken out of context and then blown out of proportion because Cheddar Goblin, like, j- just say that. Like, it's fun to say. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that that sounds delightful. And to be like, fair, that mac and cheese looked delicious. Yes. Yeah. That was like the least of my least favorite part of this whole movie. You guys have talked about <laughs> it so much. But it's, it's, I, yeah, I also didn't like it. And to me, again, it feels like. Yeah. You know, the peach in Call Me By Your Name was a meme before anyone saw the movie, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, but then you see the movie. It's a little bit different. Right, right. But you see the movie with the peach, and you're like, ah, okay, it's been contextualized now, and it actually is as big of a deal mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. people have made it. And then you hear Cheddar Goblin, and you're like, I know what a peach is. I don't know what a Cheddar Goblin is. Cheddar Goblin must be <laughs> awesome. But it's like, no, it's just like if there was a a hat in a movie that a background character was wearing (laughs) and, and everyone was like, Oh, the feather boa hat. And everyone's like, ah, the feather boa hat. And you're like, well, last time they talked about a peach, it was a very important part of a movie. And so I need to internalize it and wait for it. Oh, it's just a guy in the background wearing a feather boa hat. It's just a goddamn cheddar goblin. (laughs) In a commercial, in a commercial. Yeah. I I think the thing about, the Cheddar Goblin and, you know, some of those big things that have been mentioned, the the bikers and things like that, is like, I feel like the movie almost has like a disinterest in in those, you know, like I didn't actually have a problem with the lighting when it came to like monologue scenes or these long scenes that, are, you know, are meant to be like a trance where characters are just slowly talking to each other and, you know, effects are swirling and filters are on it and that's fine. But then like, it's the B-movie stuff that like, it's just kind of shit in this. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you know, you, you, like there are fun things I can, again, things you describe in this, you're like, oh, that sounds cool as shit. Like, and it's, it's just, it, but it, the film doesn't seem to actually be interested in that because it, it seems to trying uh, again to almost like be rushing through that stuff to get yeah. to like that next it's, monologue scene. It, it's, it, it reminds me. Really 
It reminds me a little bit of of Refn in that, like, Refn will give you all the visuals that you want to the point where you're like, okay, maybe maybe tone it down a little bit. Like, he (laughs) gives you so much that you're like, whoa, okay, like, you really went for it. And this guy is giving you so little that you're like, can you steal some of Refn's, like, like, mojo and just like go for it and yeah it it, it does feel like the camera almost is like putting this at like the the lower third or something like that and it's just like yeah nah i'm not really interested in this and i'm the guy i'm the guy who loved only god forgives like i made Mm -hmm. that like tied for number 10 or number nine that year with like spring breakers that movie fucking goes for it. Like, I yeah. don't like it, but that movie fucking goes for it. I would it. say this is more Neon Demon than only. If we're really going to do the Refn comparison, I would <laughs> say Neon Demon before Only God Forgives. This, with this, this is a little sure, more Neon sure. Demon, just because Only God Forgives is like, after a point, near constant mayhem. Um, yeah. Neon Demon is a lot more like, if, fuck, fuck Pro, all of you yeah, for making me say this about a Refn film, yeah. but like meditative. Um, yeah. <laughs> even as crazy as it gets. Um but like again, Bill, you make a very solid point. Like Refn puts it on the screen for you to see, and he knows that it's trash, and he he knows that using it to try to say something lofty is nuts, and he's not ashamed of it, and he's not afraid of it. So sure. it's stylish, but it's still clear. And this movie, it feels like it it mixes up trash like, and art, m- like m- like but like muddled incoherency of in a visual sense like with with like you know oh i'm withholding you know it's i'm like it's there it's between cloverfield and gareth edwards godzilla you know like cloverfield Mm. the fucking camera's shaking everywhere and fucking hud can't like frame a shot to save his life but gareth edwards godzilla is like oh there's his foot oh we're moving up Ah, i'm gonna cut to cnn sure like you know and i love godzilla like Mm-hmm. So I guess in this analogy, Godzilla is a Refn film and Cloverfield is this, but I feel like I had more fun at Cloverfield. See, like parts of this even reminded me of like, and Brian, I, I know you're a big fan of him, but like parts of this seem to be almost going for the feel of like a Shane Carruth. Yeah. Like, like there's some mm, upstream Jesus. color qualities to it, but like upstream color is like, that's, that's not really episodic. Like it, it is like only giving you a scarce amount of information, but there is a fluidity to it and like a, a cohesiveness that asks you to it, it asks you to like give yourself over to it. And for some people, they're gonna be like, "No, I'm gonna take a nap." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing that makes upstream color work is that even sure. though it come it begins episodic and it feels like times are mixed up and everything feels disconnected the entire point of that movie is how connected everything actually is and so it ties it into like a deep emotion and a character point of view Mm -hmm. and this movie is just like we're just gonna do some crazy shit and then nick cage you know is gonna snort some coke and murder some people to bring it back to the metal thing too it's it's almost like i can't help but think about how pretentious this movie is like there's so much conversation about what is coming like you know what kind of horrible evil exists you know just behind beyond the horizon and once they actually want to commit to that 
they still don't ever really want to get into anything supernatural. Mm -hmm. Like there's still always this idea that, oh, is this only drugs? Like, and, and there's something, there's something very, very weird about spending so long building that up and, and then deciding to create your own myth. It's like if, it's like if, you know, Mad Max Fury Road had, um, oh God, what is the the main villain in Mad Max Fury Road? Either way. If Immortan he, like, Joe? Monologued. Yeah, Immortan Joe. If like Immortan Joe decided to kidnap Charlie's Throne and and Max and Charlie's, Joe, Charlie's Throne were like together for 25 minutes and we heard – all these monologues from a Morton Joe about what he's capable of and the apocalypse and hell on earth that he represents. And then you actually started Fury Road. <laughs> like it's a, it's, it's so strange to me. And it like, it, it kind of bugs me because like, I, I know I already said this before, but this feels like some elevated horror bullshit. And it really bothers me because I just want, I don't want this movie, as you guys were saying, like, if it wants to be trash, totally cool. You can say great things with trash. You don't need to have this aura of some, you know, like, super intellectual, uh, you know, psychological quality to it. It's just, I, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I like that's a really great that's a great way to sum it up. Like <clears throat> it's weird cuz like thinking back on certain moments and lines from this movie, I just think of how much better they'd play if they weren't like in this weird drugged out haze. There's you a know? fucking MacGruber reference. <laughs> Wait, is there? <laughs> the last line of the second to last line of the movie, I believe. I uh, I will say it in spoilers. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Yeah, let's, are we ready for spoilers? Let's, yeah, let's let's jump yeah. to spoilers. Yeah, I, I this think, is going to be a short episode. I feel yes, um, it, yes, it is. Cool, great. It's Monday. We need to go to bed. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. So we're in spoilers now. Uh, so I will Hold say on. that one Let, of my. Can I can I ask a question real quick? Absolutely, I love when you ask questions right when we get in spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> um, did he? So he crushes this guy's head, and yes. then his eyes pop out. And then his eyes are back in his head? I think one of them popped out. But both eyes are definitely in, like, it, it, it goes to, like, a very obvious, like, you know, uh, what is what is that movie? Um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Is that what it is? Um, is and it the melting face kind of situation. The melting and, like, face is from the Holy Grail, or not the Holy Grail? Okay. Uh, the Raiders, the, the Raiders, just Raiders of the Raiders Lost of Ark. Raiders of the Lost, yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, anyways, like he smushes this guy's head, and it kind of goes into that like melty kind of look, and you're like, oh, that looks super cheap, but like cool. And then he makes the orgasm face, which I definitely think is like a thing. And then I it. it it shows his head again and he's got both of his eyeballs intact and i'm just like this fucking movie can't even like commit to that well i know that there's the there's the raiders of the lost ark melty face thing when nick cage does some drugs yes but but i'm talking about like that level of cheap effect 
when he smashes this guy's head as well. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like they, <laughs> they use the same effect. <laughs> I don't think this movie looks cheap. I think that's one thing I will disagree with both of you about. I think you said something about cheap as well, Brian. I'm not sure. I but can't remember. I, I think this movie <laughs> is exactly what it wants to be. I just don't think it's particularly satisfying <laughs> or satisfying, period. <laughs> I, um, I will say I think this movie – looks cheap in a way that a movie like this would want to look cheap. Yes. I think that there is a, a type of tactility to like a fake human skull getting crushed or like a head getting lopped off that like this movie would go for, because if you make it too real, it could be horrifying, but if you make it just Mm -hmm. cheap enough so you can see the seams, it's a good time at the movies. Like when he slits that guy's throat and it just pours into his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then he starts laughing. Like that's that's a great moment. Like yeah. that's a great that's a great trailer shot. That's like sure. a great moment. And it's like, give me more of that, less of this other bullshit. Like everything every moment that he's with um Carruthers, who's played by Bill Duke. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's good. That's that's awesome. I loved it. And I was hoping that like that was one of those moments where I was like, and we're off, right? But then mm-hmm. he like shoots a guy with his crossbow, tries to run sure. him over, his car flips, and then suddenly he's like in chains again. And I'm like, yeah, really? When are yeah. they just going to murder this guy? <laughs> like, I yeah. hate that in movies when it's like, hey, this man obviously just tried to destroy us. It's like, well, why don't we not really try to keep him that tied up, but we still keep him tied up? Like, mm-hmm. and I just like, so the bikers weren't really demons. They were just like. A bunch of they acid on, heads. They were on, yeah, they were on an acid that literally made them into feral cannibals. Right, 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 right. But, but they but still respond to, to be, an ocarina. Yeah, they, yeah, they're, that they're was able to be summoned. <laughs> like, like, what the fuck is this movie? Like, I really like that. That's that's another one of those moments where it's like, just go for it. Like, what the fuck are you afraid of? Yeah, just give me like, a demon. Like, why? Why not? You I gave me a the- cheddar goblin. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, I was pissed off that the Cheddar Goblin wasn't like a literal goblin made of cheddar that tried to kill Nick Cage. Like that's what I was expecting, in all honesty. And all I got was this stupid mac and cheese commercial. I'd also I'll say, like, once your main character is kidnapped, then escapes, then is kidnapped again and escapes and slaughters like four demons, demon biker pain addicts. Like a bunch yeah. of fucking Jesus freaks is not going to do it for me. Yeah. Like, you gotta it, make that the end, <laughs> right? You you gotta you gotta have him like cut through the Jesus freaks and then have like Julian or Jeremiah. Sa- I wanted to call him Julian Sands. He is not Julian Sands. <laughs> Jeremiah Sand, played by Linus Roach, like naked in his pit, and just be like, "I've still got the the people that I'm gonna call with the horn of Abraxas." And then he plays the ocarina, and then the 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 pain acid cannibals come back. It's just yeah, so I, weird to begin sure. with the most terrifying part and then just like have to suffer the next 30 minutes of Nick Cage like going to this guy's place where the guy releases a tiger that mm-hmm. walks away and is standing in some millipedes and like and then he very slowly walks down walks down a tunnel and then this is the second movie in a row that I've seen that ends in like a weird quarry you know and I just like uh, I was just annoyed. This, I just was this annoyed. is a weird this is a weird suggestion, but I'm realizing it would potentially make the movie better for me. And I, so I was thinking about the Dark Tower a little bit, and and this idea of how the they book build series up. or the movies. 
The book series. Okay. Oh, okay. And, and how they build up um, the, uh, the man in black. I, I'm yeah. not confusing things, right? Okay, sorry. No, no, no. no. Uh, the man in black. And, like, I'm just thinking that, you know, I, I already said a little bit how they spent so long building up, you know, even those bikers. And this Linus Roach character who, you know, is delusional that, you know, he is – you know, some divine presence or something like that. But this film would almost be better for me if it would have actually, as you guys were say, is saying, like, embrace that uh, immortality and that, like, invulnerability. Like, literally this movie ending with the idea that um, Linus Roach's character is always over the horizon or something, is, is always far away. Like, just the... It, it's just so deflating to me how this goes. Like, not even just in terms of as you guys are saying, like after they beat these apparently terrifying bikers incredibly easily, um, you know, it, it's not a big deal. Uh, it's not super cathartic just to kill a bunch of Jesus freaks, but like it, it makes me wonder why this movie seeds so much of that imagery and like focuses, you know, seems to focus as much as the movie does on any single thing on the like, idea of art and journeys like you think about the fact that andrea uh, rosenborough's character is uh constantly seen reading a book I, and w we read passages of it that just kind of uh, just evoke these these worlds that are just totally unknown you have animated interludes that you know look like outtakes from heavy metal but still have like this uh, enigmatic quality. You have, uh, you see them like enraptured with watching like a direct-to-video style '80s sci-fi movie together. Nicholas Cage and uh, Andrea Rice. You have Cheese Goblin. Like it, it seems like Cheddar. fine. Cheddar yeah, Goblin. Come on, Goblin. Michael. Asiago Goblin. Smith <laughs> <laughs> <Swiss> Goblin. <laughs> but my my point being though that like that is one of like a number of fixations that are all throughout this and like this obsession and fetishism of like D and D imagery and all this kinds of stuff. And it, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it, it doesn't, it Look also at his fucking sword. <laughs> like Jesus. Do we, okay. Do we get an explanation for why he's able to forge that thing so quickly? Or is that just something we're supposed to take on faith? That that was my other question. Was did he just have that uh that that mold just ready to go? Like that's a very specific like weird ass <laughs> fucking mold. Like like did I mean, he chisel like that out? Like first. how did how did he come <laughs> across that fucking thing? Like I wish I wish the 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 uh the uh I don't want to call him the mystical black guy, but I mean that's okay. kind of his that's kind of his purpose. But um, really mystical. He's more like fucking scary <laughs> yeah but anyways like i wish he would have been like i've been saving this like you know like hey here's an awesome weapon that i've been saving up for the apocalypse like you should use this you know there's a crossbow yeah they give him a crossbow with like metal metal crossbow bolts uh, bolts yeah. yeah look man like, those okay. things will cut through bone like a fat kid through cake yeah oh boy what a what, what a what line! Are, like yeah, what are those lines doing in this movie too? Like, but why aren't there more of them? That's exactly. what I'm thinking. Like, exactly. if you're gonna do this like weird trippy thing, but then you've got like Nicolas Cage being like, 
it nothing made sense it was like all fucked up they set her on fire man like i'm it's it's jesus freak season sure like you know i'm good with that but like you know then you have these weird interludes where they're like just talking in super slow-mo about like i don't know god and nature and some shit like i and it's i'm just like (laughs) i'm like i like never knew what level to meet this movie on because it really couldn't commit and it just like annoyed the shit out of me (laughs) there was a point where i was just like all right you know fuck it like the cult leader is is like is talking about how like your meat you know i'm like you have no soul or brain blah 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 and then like nicholas cage takes a step closer and suddenly he's like offering to fillet him to save his life that's the mcgrippy reference oh is it yeah i'll suck your dick (laughs) see i just saw it as like a tropic thunder thing or like just like what is like this guy's like a sex cult leader so like what would his like lack of victory be like what's his defeat scenario and it's like oh being sexual with another man to save his life like yeah really like that's what we're that's that's the best we can do in this situation if we're, if we're really going to do air eh, really let's talk about the fact that this entire movie hinges on andrea risenborough's character dying like yeah i mean that's some bullshit you know like, it's especially in revenge movies but it's some bullshit especially like you spend an hour with her and the movie yeah. is named after her like it's just 30 minutes but i, I is it i don't know i'd have to go back because i swear to god like the title card mandy doesn't come up until like an hour into the movie and you know i agree i agree with that now she's not in the movie for an hour but yeah definitely like i think we lose her about 30 minutes into the movie and then we get uh some ashes and then we get a bag that rides around on fire and then we get some other stuff. <laughs> I kind of thought they were going to pull a fast one and have her still be alive. Like not saying I that did too, be, but like just the way that they were doing it, they didn't show it. Like there was just right. like a, a very specific way. And the, and that, that one guy's like, she's it. still burning. Yeah. And so I thought they were going to be like, we killed another one of the girls in this cult or literally anyone in the cult because you know, they're in a burlap sack and like Mandy is still, like trapped and then like he would go and rescue her and like they would do one of those po- like poses like on a metal album where it's like he's on a mountaintop yeah. with his sword yeah, sure. and she's like wrapped around his leg yeah oh, oh yeah, yeah like a st- like star wars sure <laughs> like that poster that oh, has cereals. nothing to do with star wars <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah why not yeah why the fuck not i don't know i think, th- I think they stole that from conan is it conan or something conan else? the barbarian yeah I don't know. There's just like so many things that this movie could have. It's just like it just feels weird. It feels weird. It feels like it didn't know what it wanted to be. And then it felt like it felt like it was ashamed of it. And And then it's really confident at the end for no apparent reason. (laughs) Yeah. And then like he's driving away and there's like a weird planet in the background. And I read I read people that were like giving the impression that maybe this all happens on like another planet. And I was like, no, no, no. Fuck you. No. Right. I heard Reagan giving a speech in his car. Yeah. Also, this movie's dumb. Like it's it's not that smart. <laughs> Literally, that's mm. the end of a Goosebumps book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. I just I found uh, again, if the movie had at least been like dumb fun that I was able to engage with, 
You know, I'm the man who defends Lockout. I'm the man who defends Shoot 'em Up. Like, I can get behind a stupid fucking movie. But Upgrade there's some rules from this year. What was that? Upgrade rules from this year. Oh, I'll yeah. have to check that out. I've heard it, good it's things. It's good. It's real good. Yeah. yeah, it's good. That's a uh, Logan Green or whatever his name is. Logan Not Tom Hardy. Green. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from the OC. <laughs> well, what is it? Budget Tom Hardy. Yeah. Hey now. <laughs> no, that's that's what you know. He's he's rocking it. He knows what he is. He doesn't fucking cover his mouth, so he's uh, he's doing something right at least. Look, lately. Tom Hardy's <laughs> able to command a giant fee, despite the fact that he never wants you to see his face on film. How excited are you guys about Venom, which is apparently coming out in two weeks? <laughs> is yeah, it? Oh, my PG-13. God. Well, we're Woo. totally going to talk about that movie. No, we, no, we're not. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> all Venom, uh, all the time. Uh, no. Wow. <laughs> yeah. it. okay. It's got Riz Ahmed in it. Yeah, it does. I, yes, it does. And Michelle Williams. If like, you Michelle really try... You maybe could convince yourself that this is a sequel to the movie Jason Bourne, where Riz Ahmed also played a conniving, super rich guy with a secret. That's right. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. That was my first episode on here. Oh, memories. <laughs> God, how long ago was that? 28 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that was apparently a 2016 movie. <sighs> Jason Bourne. I don't know. I'm I'm done with this fucking movie. Did you guys? Uh, so uh, the big cage scene that people are talking about is a one take in a bathroom. I, I mean, did you take yeah. that as that he had some previous addiction? The way, I, considering that a vodka is is hidden. Or, yeah, a bottle of vodka is in a fucking dresser. It, well, I, not a dresser. I a, did, uh, but it it added nothing to the movie for me. Yeah, it added so little. Like. Because his grief is tied into, like, him relapsing. And I don't need both of those things. I need one of those things. I just need him to want a stiff drink of vodka and keep sucking it down. And then, like, use it to disinfect his wounds like a normal human probably would at that moment. Like, like Jason Bourne has done in a movie. Yeah. Like, I don't know like, why I'm going to keep trying this back to the Bourne movies. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Nicolas Cage, he goes, he kills a demon, he snorts some coke. That's just like in The Bourne Legacy when he needs his chems. I don't know. This movie movie kind of wants to be Evil Dead, but it forgets that Evil Dead's fun is the supernatural element. Like... It wants to be Evil Dead, but it wants, like, Solaris monologues as well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, let's just throw some stalker in here. Um... No, it's weird because, like, yeah, he he goes, he pulls it out from under the sink, and I'm like, okay, um, I've been around people who have had problems, and I know that that is an addict's behavior, and so clearly that was, like, his secret stash for if and when he needed to relapse, but, like, his fucking wife was just burned in front of him, so, like, I don't really, I don't, like, hold it against him, I don't know if yeah. it's a good idea, like, but, and also he doesn't, he go. He flips into murder mode so fast. He has to go get the Reaper back from a friend of his, and I'm like, yeah. okay. So did he used to be a murderer too? Like, I, I don't have soldier maybe, but it's still that doesn't make sense for a crossbow. A crossbow, obviously. yeah. You know, I was about to say he's a sniper. He's <laughs> <laughs> a crossbow sniper. A paramilitary group. <laughs> yeah, he's a three percenter. 
Um, what was I going to say? But like the movie is is super interested in Mandy's background and gives us that like you know Andrew Riceboro kills the scene where she talks about her dad and the Starlings. Yeah, but then she's dead, and so it's like okay. So what am I supposed to do with all that character that we built up for her? And why didn't we spend any time building up Nicolas Cage a little bit? Yep. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It, it, that just reminded me that he does refuse a beer on the helicopter ride back back to his car. Yeah. So so there it is. They're, they're, they're planting those that little seed. But it's like, that's not enough. Like... Okay, so he used to drink alcohol. Like, what mountain man doesn't? Like, Jesus. Yeah, and and you don't just get to change movies at, at that point. It's yeah. I, I, since we can talk about it now, yeah, that chainsaw duel fucking sucks. Like, what the fuck? The best the part was just duel. when the guy pulled out the For really sure. long yes. chainsaw because I was yes. like, that's an insanely long chainsaw. But then, yeah, their fight wasn't that great. It's no. like so dingily shot. Like there's no sense of atmosphere, and that's I, what I mean. Like they, they don't they they commit to it, but it's almost as if they are uninterested in like showing it. Like I yeah. wanted, like when he fights with the demon with the Freddy Krueger claws. Like I was like, oh yeah, like he's gonna fuck this dude up with his his <laughs> badass weapon, and the guy is just like straight up like manhandling his his giant scythe, and I'm like. What? No, you can't like defend that <laughs> with your hands. Like, you, sh- you should be handless at this point. Like, what weapon does he have? And one of those Except demon guys off. had a um, like the seven dildo. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was I was real weird about that. about that. Yeah. I was like I was like, what the fuck is is going on here? And then like he he gets stopped, and he I was gets like, stuck to the floor. Yeah, I was like. Well, show me that. Like, someone turn on a fucking light so I can see what's going on in this fucking movie. That's, uh, but it's, I don't it's know. not even like those. I, I mean, I think you're getting at something else there, Bill. Like, it's not like any of those are like fights. I, they're over so quickly, and, and you know, I feel like again, that's trying to you know convey some like you know superhuman strength you feel in a moment of grief and stuff. But like, that's still that still doesn't make it, you know, more, more powerful, like jumping through that stuff. Yeah. What, what that reeks of me to me of is just, they didn't have like a, a really good fight choreographer and, or a fight choreographer probably at all. And so they were just having to make it up and they were like, how do we shoot this dark? Because like, we can't show, like us actually like hitting blades because we're not actually hitting blades. We're like telling me, telling me they had money for a tiger, but they didn't have money for a fight choreographer. (laughs) I I mean, you know, I don't know. I guess. No, I I think it's, I I don't know. The more we talk, the more we talk about it, I kind of think it was intentional, but even if everything they did was intentional, I don't think it landed. No, no, no. It bothers me more if it's intentional. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I agree with that. Shamed of its, of its own violence because <laughs> yeah. it wants to be about something. Uh, we, we keep saying it wants to be about something else. Michael, would you care to try to explain what this movie is about? If it's not just about watching some crazy violent shit happen? No, no, no. I, I, I mean, I've already kind of said, I, I think that this movie seems to have 
too much time devoted to things like drugs and alcohol, things like grief and how just this uncontrollable anger or anger as a force. That does not mean I think it does that well, but I think how much time they spend on some of those things, whether, um, sorry, whether, uh, talking about it early in the film as a, holy shit guys, what is the word for something that happens that then is reflective of foreshadowing? Thank you, Bill. Yes. (laughs) Foreshadowing dialogue. Like I don't think that this is, I don't think this movie has anything to say, but I think it certainly wants to say something. You don't make the last shot of your movie this, you know, bright uh, profile shot of Nicolas Cage look, looking totally shell shocked. If you want to make a movie, just an action movie, like I, I just I again I don't think it succeeds, but I think this is trying to be about more. Right, like there, like. Uh- it seems, oh, there's a movie that I can't think of. You know what? It might be John Wick. There's a, there's yeah. this idea of like the guy who was bad, who got good, and now the thing that made him good is gone, and so he's going to be bad again. You know? It's even so, more like John Wick too. but yeah. Yeah, so like, you know, Nicolas Cage is like, well, I've got Mandy, and she's got a scar on the outside, and I've got scars on the inside, and we're happy together, and now they've taken her from me, and thus I will destroy them all. And that's some John Wick shit. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, that dog was the last gift from my wife. The woman who I like murdered a bunch of people with a pencil so I could get out of the mob. And now she's gone. And so I'm just going to go nuts again. And Nick Cage is like, you burned up my woman. And so now I'm going to murder some acid sure. demon bikers and do a shit ton of blow. And I'm going to fucking kill you. Like, but John Wick legitimately <laughs> wrestles with that in an yeah. emotionally true way and this one He's is just so like good in that. all right now nick <laughs> just go nuts don't go too nuts though because we're still trying to be art Mm-hmm. I, I think Nick Cage is honestly a great actor and I think he's capable of great things you know when his agent and, and a director gives him something but yeah. you know yeah. it's also the movie is a little bit like actually the movie has a lot in common with drive angry now that I'm thinking about it because in that movie his daughter who he claims is like the only good thing that he ever did is murdered by a cult leader and he escapes mm-hmm. from hell in order to take her down and Amber Heard helps Yes. And like But but that film actually fucking goes for it and like actually has that supernatural element and isn't afraid of it. Yeah, William like, Fickner is in that as the devil's accountant. Yes. Who like is wandering right, I around just wrote Drive Angry to watch as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great. It doesn't go as nuts as you want, not, but like yeah. if you just need some crazy cage and some like Amber Heard in jean shorts and like some people fucking people up, like and and it was in 3D and the 3D was pretty fun. So yeah, you know, and David Morris is in it. Isn't it Nevelteine who did yeah? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure and Crank. And no, stuff. no, it's yeah. the guy who did My Bloody Valentine 3D. Okay, <laughs> I've seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, and also he's wearing a crazy wig. And, you know, sometimes you really want Nick Cage in a crazy wig. I don't think I've mentioned Mom and Dad on this podcast this year, too. But that's that's another film that uh, kind of has a – I was talking about this with a Slack – a couple Slack listeners 
this weekend, but um, Mom and Dad has a really good scene that I think is even more powerful than the what people are calling the centerpiece one in this one uh, that takes place with a uh, a pool table and a sledgehammer and the hokey pokey, and it's a really good scene. Yeah, I really want to see Mom and Dad still. It's on. It's on some streaming thing. I can't remember which one. All right. So obviously, if you want to watch some good Nicolas Cage, uh, Mom and Dad, um, Drive Angry, which again, not great, still better than this. Bad Lieutenant Two might be somewhere. Bad too. Lieutenant, yeah, Portugal, New Orleans. Vampire's Kiss might also still be on Prime. It's alphabetical. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I was oh. gonna do it, but I would just start screaming. <laughs> A B C D. <laughs> Yeah, um, Nicolas Cage reads the alphabet. It's a fantastic moment in a crazy film. Um, and eats a cockroach in I'm real a life. Um, what a, like face off? Oh man! You no, know, just like there's a lot of good Cage out there. I know we yeah. we shit talk Cage, but Cage does good work, and you don't have to fucking sit through this goddamn movie to see it. Maybe B side on Cage needs to happen. That would be a 14 hour long <laughs> podcast. Yeah. That's I guarantee he's been out in at least five movies this year that we haven't heard of. Oh yeah. Another one played at fantastic fest that our, uh, our last guest was actually talking about <laughs> here, here. Oh my God. I think I was right. Um, looking glass two eleven between worlds That's and possibly something called primal. Those are all from 2018. I have not heard of any of them. You know, it takes a lot of movie roles to pay for an Island. <laughs> An island, his his like grave in New Orleans, <laughs> and his taxes. Don't yeah. forget his taxes. And his taxes. <laughs> he used to he used to own oh, the La Lorie house, didn't he? I have no idea. All How right. is he not in jail? <laughs> because he he pays them. Like he just like tax season comes around, and he's like, I'll do whatever. I just I I I. Don't pay. He's like that guy who's like, I'm not going to give the government my money. Because he's in this fucking movie. That's why he's not in jail. They're like, oh, this this is a one for one. Here you go. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, like you, you've always got that friend who's like, I don't pay any taxes during the year. I wait until the end and I give them what they need in pennies. And it's like, why do you do that, Jim? Like, because you never save up enough, and it always stresses you out. And he's like, well, I don't want to give them like a tax free loan. And it's like, ah, you know what, Jim? Just fuck yourself. <laughs> Fucking three percenter. Anyway, um, that's it. I think we're done, right? Yes. I'm cool. Done. Sure. <laughs> that's as good a place as any to stop. <laughs> Me yelling at a hypothetical three percenter. Yeah, that's 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 where all of our episodes should end. Um, so that's it for today. Thank you for joining us. It's been a real dream being able oh, to talk about this movie with you. Um, I want to I mention one thing. Uh, cool. If you start watching this film and think uh, your connection is bad, no, that's just that's like, just the film strobing. Yeah, that's just the film. <laughs> um, I was like, I was like, this this screen is shitty, and I was like, oh, this is how the whole movie's gonna be. Fuck. <laughs> Yeah, you think it's buffering, but it's, it. <laughs> it's really just them drugged out speaking really slow. Um, before we go, uh, Michael and I apparently both watched The Children Act. Oh, we did. Yeah. I will say I read the book. The book is great. Um, the movie is probably about as good as you could get from the book, but it's Ian, or, yeah, Ian McEwen, the author, 
His most recent novels do not lend themselves to film adaptation because he will have legitimately like three to four scenes and everything in between that will be like weird background filler and context that is awesome and fills in those scenes, but does not play directly into those scenes. And so it's like if you were to watch someone try to pick up a penny and at the same time be able to know everything about his childhood and his adulthood and like the, the football injury that made it so hard for him to pick up that penny. And then you see him pick up the penny. Right. And then they're like, that's a beautiful story, but it's terrible cinema. And so while this movie has, you know, pretty good performances from, uh, Finn Whitehead and Emma Thompson and Ben Chaplin, you know, I just like, I just don't think it's a truly necessary or particularly like grabby piece of art. Yeah, I I definitely watching it, you know, um, had some difficulty getting into it because it's kind of strange in the sense that it, it's kind of a procedural for the first 20 to 30 minutes before it kind of reveals what it's actually interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just by the time that some kind of big plot stuff happens, it's it seems like it's already the end. Um, and so like I, Emma Thompson, I think is, I mean, she's kind of great in everything. Like I have trouble, <laughs> I'd have real trouble thinking of like an Emma Thompson performance where I'm like, oh, she's bad or not trying hard enough. Like it's, it, she is, you know, always thoughtful and always brings a sense of, um, you know, a presence to her roles. It, it's just, this film was just so strange to me. And I found this is going to be really strange, Brent. At times, this almost felt like a thematic cousin to me of like First Reformed. Like First Reformed seems to be interested in this idea between like dogma and rationality and, you know, why things happen and blind faith. And um, like that stuff I found really interesting. So once it kind of changed directions, I was I was very confused <laughs> where it was going, and I definitely thought it was going into a little bit more of a May December <laughs> a direction <laughs> than it ended up. Uh, yeah, doing. and like so, like Ian McEwen, recent like his his old novels, The Cement Garden, um, which I think was his first, and like The Comfort of Strangers, they were these very weird gothic like he he was known as like the master of the perverse because everything in his novels as they do for most young men came back to sex and like strange kink and perversion and definitely all of his short stories are about that um so philip rothian in a sense maybe like a little pulpier in all honesty like especially his first novels like still with a great shot of humanism and like social realism but it went to a lot of places. And then he 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 did things like Enduring Love, which actually I really like that movie. Um, you know, he created these weird plots that really like test people's like systems of, of virtue and belief. Sure. Even if those are like, plays. Yeah. Even if they're like purely rational, like it doesn't have to be God. Um, that's kind of the funny thing about Enduring Love is that it's about a purely rational man who now has to deal with like a auto erotic or an erotically obsessed Jesus freak. Um, so check that out. If you haven't seen it, Roger Michelle, it stars Daniel Craig and Reese Iffens, I think. Um, anyway, his later novels have all been a lot more internal. Like it's a lot of, it's a lot of like a man sitting on a bus thinking about the problems of humanity and how they relate to him. So like if someone were to try to make an adaptation of Saturday, it would be a brain surgeon who goes and plays squash and gets into a very light car accident, 
goes home, is preparing a dinner for his children who are in town. Sure. And then like some bad stuff happens. And it seems like it would make a movie until you realize that it's only the context of everything going on in his head and in the world that makes like the sudden turn of violence mean something. Um, the children act is very much sense. like that. I'm sorry. What did you say? Yeah. That, sorry. That makes a lot more sense to me. I, and, and I, I mean, I have to say like, I, I think the performers are good, but I think Richard Ayer's direction on this is just, it's, it's really, it's really awful because it, it seems kind of stiff. And yeah, then it's, like, it's a little pedestrian this, state. It, it, it's pedestrian. Yeah. It's pedestrian state. But then there's also like this bizarre tangent where the camera like wants to be an observer for a while in like really <laughs> awkward ways. Like one time it like wades through a crowd. Yeah. And, like, that was one really time strange. There's a, there's a doctor's conversation that it like stands outside the room. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's, it's this really strange, um, distance that it wants to have to like try to give it a sense of like um yeah artistry that like uh, pulpiness would have probably helped this for me and the reason i mentioned roth is because um this actually reminded me a lot of the recent uh indignation adaptation which Mm -hmm. a lot of people didn't talk about which but it's just really really good and i can't recommend enough um, well, like, from last year when and that's when they a were, very internal film as well when they said they were going to make atonement i thought it was a terrible idea but you know it, they they did well <laughs> um yeah. i happen to think that atonement what like was one of the first movies that i saw and i was like oh shit that is like a perfect adaptation um joe wright did that he did anna karenina which again for me is another perfect adaptation i just and pride and prejudice which is a very good pride after probably the tv show yeah and so i feel like there are these people who are capable of like latching on to what McEwen does and like atonement has more plot and more sweep than a lot of his novels but like i still haven't seen it i can't imagine that on chesil beach is any different from this movie <laughs> just because the the plot of the book is two people who just got married have a very bad first night of their honeymoon and if not for the way that the book explores the way that like coming up through the fifties and getting married in the early sixties before the sexual revolution, like dooms these two people, mm. there's not a lot there. It's, it's a lot of drama, but all of the like meat comes from these internal thought processes that are filtered through experience. And I just don't know mm. how to really put that into film. Um, I, Sweet Tooth is another one. It's it's a it's a book that he did. It's about like spies, but like the kind of bureaucratic nonsensical like low-level spying that would probably like really appeal to Ian McEwen. It's like trying to fund artists to create anti-communist propaganda. Like I imagine someone looking at that and going, "Ah yes, this would be perfect for like Sir Saronin and Domhnall Gleeson or something." <laughs> but like, you know, it's a great book, but I just think the plot itself is not going to sustain anything. I will, however, say that his most recent novel called Nutshell, I would give anything to see someone try to make that into a movie. Who would you want? I don't know. Do you, wait, <laughs> do you all know what Nutshell is? No. Okay. Okay. Let me let me lay the log line on for you. Nutshell is basically a retelling of Hamlet in the modern day. Oh no. But Hamlet 
is a nine-month-old fetus still inside his mother? What? It is staggeringly good. The entire novel is told first person from the perspective of the unborn child. What? It is super weird, very funny, really gross, and in its last like 100 pages becomes one of the most tense and interesting things I've ever read. And so when you ask me, who should direct this? <laughs> Gaspar Noe? I don't know. Like, oh, no. <laughs> some, some fucked up mad genius who would be totally fine with this idea. Verhoeven. <laughs> Verhoeven would be fantastic. Like, Total Recall era Verhoeven would be great. Like, I legitimately, I want people to hashtag at us what they Dave think Boyle. a good nutshell director would be. <laughs> And if you haven't read it, it's a pretty short novel. If even if you don't like like it, I think that just the oddity and the novelty of it will keep you invested. But like he's not Dennis Lehane. Like and I think that in its scrape to try to create whatever films it can out of whatever known and like popular properties it can, like Hollywood and and British film council or whatever, you know, they gravitate to Ian McEwen because it makes sense because he's like acclaimed and his books are very important and struggle with weighty ideas and they like appeal to adults. But like sometimes you just got to realize that like a straight reproduction is not going to be what you need. Yeah. So that's great. I was just able to wash the taste of Mandy out of my mouth by basically rhapsodizing about how much I love Ian McEwen for 10 minutes. <laughs> I, I wish I liked this movie better. I, I again, I. I think that I was more into it before it kind of revealed its actual interests. (laughs) Yeah. And like in a book, those interests may come out, but they still are in the same voice and they're still moving at the same pace. Like it's a lot easier to swallow that turn. And in a movie, it's like, oh, is that what we're doing? Apparently I'm going to have to get Nutshell on Amazon tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Please. I would love to hear what you think of Nutshell. (laughs) I'm a, can you give I, me 10 minutes? <laughs> I record in my study, and so I can look over and see my Ian McEwen section. And I'm like, I could probably read Nutshell again this week. <laughs> yeah. All right. Maybe I'll look into how much Nutshell is. Just like, I don't want to spoil anything for you. Yeah, if you're vaguely interested in Nutshell, pick up Nutshell. Nutshell's a good time at the at the library. I was going to say the movies, but it's not a movie yet. Maybe that'll be me. Maybe that's how I break into the industry finally. I adapt a nutshell. Anyway, that's it for today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Um, hopefully both of our reviews have been fun and informative. Let's uh, let's talk about the stuff that we're supposed to talk about before we get out of here. Uh, movie, of course. If you go to mubi.com slash film stage, you can get a free 30-day trial of movie where you can check out all the movies we talked about earlier, including Ghost Town, not starring Greg Kinnear. Uh... <laughs> What was what was the other one? The, the Last of Us, not related yeah. to the video game. God damn it! Yeah, yeah. Disorder, not the one that used to be called Maryland. This is just how I'm going to talk about all yeah. movies from now on, Apparently. and of course Ryuki Sakamoto's Coda. Again, that's mubi.com/slash/filmstage. Also, go to the uh, patreon.com/slash/filmstage and give us your money. What are we talking about next week? Uh, sister brothers, potentially. Oh, yes. I would love that. That sounds great. 
I forgot that that was coming out so soon. And then maybe Star is Born, who I've already mm. booked a guest for. Nice. Yeah. Um, The Old Man and the Gun is coming out soon, too, isn't it? I believe so. Sweet. All right. So we have a packed schedule. We'll figure out what we're going to talk about, and then we'll tweet it out at Film Stage Show on Twitter. Until then, gentlemen, let's tell the fine people where we can be found between now and the next time. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, and you can also find me on the Slack channel. Uh, gonna start mixing it in, mixing it up in there a little bit more. Like Brian, I took a little bit of a break. <laughs> yeah, completely unintentional break, but it happens. Michael Snydell. You might say I've been picking up the slack. Oh, oh my. no. <laughs> Get out of here. Get That's out it. Here. I'm never going back. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Snydell, where I will be writing a Twitter thread of my spec script for Asiago Goblin. And uh, on Letterboxd, where I am actually writing a few words on about nearly everything I've been watching lately. And Ooh. actually been watching good things, which is really weird. So I'm probably overdue for some bad movies. What a change of pace. Um, I will be uh, pitching my uh, spec script, which is in no way related to Michael's. It's going to be called Brie Banshee. And <laughs> that can be found on Twitter <laughs> at Brian J. Rowan, personal site, dearfilm.net. Of course, we all write and can be found at the film stage where you can also find every episode that we've ever recorded of this podcast. Oh, shit, it should have been Gorgonzola. Goblin. Mozzarella Monster. <laughs> Uh, Pecorino, Pixie, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Let's, uh... Cheddar Goblin! Cheddar Goblin. All hail the Cheddar Goblin. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, and tune in next time.